Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And well, Halloween has come and gone, which means it's time for us to talk about, well, not Adam or Thanos. It's the Scarecrow again. Yes, Scott Edelman's Scarecrow. And of course, we're coming back with Brian. Hey, Brian. Hello. Call me Salt Bay tonight because I got salt to deal with this uh, issue. Oh, I'm sure. And Tim Price is back. <laughs> Hey Al, uh, yeah, do not call me Salt Bay. I don't, I don't know what that means. That's fine. I'm, I'm very easily confused. I'm sure <laughs> I will be explained shortly enough. But yes, we there, are here. There will be a link in the notes, and every, and and it will be a low point for your podcast. Al and I apologize. <laughs> Brian is going to have a link to his uh, dissertation <laughs> or manifesto about this. We'll put it on the link show in the note, link in the show notes. I'm sure. But yes, we are here to talk about the third, and as far as we're concerned for the 70s, the final appearance of the Scarecrow in Marvel 2 and 1, number 18. The Thing and the Scarecrow. So you know we're getting things a little different when we have the Thing involved. Definitely going to be a slightly different type of story, I think. Slightly different. Yeah. But, but he's no stranger to uh, Adam Warlock, so I imagine you've talked about him plenty of times in the past. True. I mean, he was there for the first few episodes since that's where Adam first appeared. I have not. Yeah. I and, have not. I missed those. Yep. And well, you were there, though, Brian, when we talked about the uh, death of Adam and Thanos in the Marvel yes. 2 1 annual, which would obviously happen true. a few years after this. Yes. But for now, let's talk about this one. So hang on, everybody. Let me drop in a quick synopsis and then we can get to find out about Brian's salt. Marvel 2 and 1, number 18 Dark, Dark Demon Knight. Co-plotter, Scott Edelman. Co-plots and script, Bill Mantlo. Pencils, Ron Wilson. Inkers, Jim Mooney and Dan Adkins. Colors, Hugh Paley. Letters, John Costanza and Ray Holloway. Cover art by Ron Wilson, Joe Sinnott, and Danny Crespi. Editor, Marv Wolfman. Cover dated August of 1976, with an on-sale date of May 4th, 1976, and an original cover price of 25 cents. You can find this reprinted in Special Strange No. 14, a 1978 French reprint, Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 1, a 2005 reprint, Legion of Monsters hardcover from 2007, Essential Marvel Horror Volume 2 from 2008, Dr. Strange Lords of Fear from 2017, Marvel Masterworks Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 2 from 2017, Marvel 2-in-1 Epic Collection Volume 1, Cry Monster from 2018, and the Marvel Horror Omnibus from 2019. While attending an occult-themed art exhibition at Jess Duncan's Soho Loft with Felicia Masters, the thing is told of the supposed supernatural powers behind the straw man painting by its owners, Dave and Jess Duncan. After the exhibition begins to wind down, one of the straggling partygoers is transformed by Calamai into a fire demon. Hearing the ruckus, the thing bursts in and fights off the monster, when he's aided suddenly by the arrival of the Scarecrow, who appears in the moonlit window. The Scarecrow helps Thing defeat the monster. Thing knocks the monster out, causing it to change back to normal. Before doing so, however, he sets the Scarecrow's magical painting on fire with his demon flames, revealing the image of Calamai underneath. The Scarecrow then jumps into the painting, seemingly destroying it and closing the portal. In the aftermath, everyone present wonders what happened to Jess's brother Dave, whom Jess and Harmony have begun to suspect of being the Scarecrow. All right, and we're back. Initial thoughts, Brian. Oh, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. From such promise and such 
high heights. And it, it, I guess it strikes me in retrospect that this was probably not uncommon in the 70s, that you came roaring out the gate with a lovely premise that had so much promise, a premise with promise. Say that 10 times fast. Um, and you, you, we just like, now we find ourselves here. And I just, I will elaborate in great detail over the course of this episode on that particular theme. But all I will say for now is, oh dear. Okay, Tim. So Brian sounds slightly negative. That's bad. That's that's, am, am, yes. am, I, am I understanding that? Because I'm not really good at subtext. So I'm yeah. just gonna... <laughs> I think I'm getting that from him. I think that's okay, what I'm all getting. All right, very good. Oh. <laughs> Trust me, over I, the course not, of this episode, the text will rapidly become, the subtext will rapidly become text. Okay, all right. Well, I will just say that definitely of the three parts of the, of Scarecrow's story that we've covered, this is my least favorite. I, I'm not going to impugn anything about anything else about the story because it's like I, everybody has their own tastes and things. Um, and, you know, it's it's definitely a different tone. Um, and even just the inclusion of, you know, Ben Grimm is like, well, it's he's here not really to resurrect Scarecrow for any big thing. It's more to try to wrap up the story. And unless maybe there was like one more thing that they had out there to more cleanly wrap this up, it it definitely feels like a last gasp sort of story because yeah. you have this property out here. And just like, just say, maybe it'll be popular. Maybe we'll get a lot of feedback to continue the story. And I think the fact that nothing else happened in the seventies tells us the tale on that front. So yeah, yeah just, just not my favorite one. And a little sorry to see that it ended like Selch. Yeah. Ben was not here to praise the scarecrow, but to bury him. You mm -hmm. can almost smell the desperation and it does not smell good. Now I went to Scott Edelman's desperation website. by Calvin Klein. <laughs> Perfect. Now, I went to Scott Edelman's website because on there he has comments about the different comics he's written. Not like long dissertations, but, you know, a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. And for this one, he's saying the, 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 after the horror explosion, there was a bit of a horror implosion. And that's one of the things that's what killed the Scarecrow after from getting any more solo mm -hmm. stories. So I'm wondering if, yeah, maybe he just planned it was like, all right, let's just wrap this sucker up and get it over, get it out, you know, get it done and put him away. And at least they did give him a third bite at the apple in order to do that and wrap it up uh, as unsatisfying as it turns out to be. Uh, kudos to them for at least giving him that opportunity. Yeah. But I will say this. Uh, the other two, while there might have been stuff that was weird, a lot of that was just minor stuff. Like when we were talking about, is it night or day? Is What kind of office is this? You know, for like the police, like what kind of police office is this? Oh, Looks right, like right, right. But that was minor stuff. But like here, like we get to the end, I actually really didn't get what happened until I read the description later on online. Because the end, you know, I was a little more confused than this one. So I, I would may, say, I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to you passing that along because I think I did not read a description online. So I might still be as lost as you were. Yeah. So I will agree with Tim. This is my least favorite out of the three. I oh, am you agree happy. with me as well. Yeah, I am happy. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in his those words. <laughs> I am happy, however, that they at least didn't completely ignore. Uh, unlike bringing back the show to its premise, unlike when they 
uh, ended the Adam Warlock story from the original Warlock run and the Hulk issues, and none of his supporting characters are there for more than like a cameo. At least Duncan and sorry, uh, yeah, Jess, uh, Jess, David uh, Harmony. Yeah, that's it. Not Duncan's the last name. Jess, yeah. David Harmony are here. They're a part of the story. They're involved the whole time. It's not right. like they got written out in a panel. It might have been kinder to do so, but again, saving it for later. Just <laughs> we better so, we better yes. move along, or else we're going to you know kill poor Brian here. Oh, I think, uh, I think I it's hurting him to keep it inside. I think no, it's no, 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 no. We need to I let, won't be... let you let it out, Brian. We have to let no, you let no, it out. Let me put it to you this way: the longer, the longer that you make me wait, the more editing Al's going to have to do later on because the more swearing there's going to be. <laughs> Matter of fact, it might not even have to do with oh, waiting. Dear. You might already be doomed, Al. I'm just warning you right now. That's okay. So anyway, so yeah, let's start off the issue. So yeah, Ben and Alicia are at this uh, art party. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold your horses. Hold your horses. <laughs> we need to deal with this cover. Was okay. anybody else? I, I was wondering the same thing. Was anybody else confused about why the Human Torch was on the cover? No, because Ben always fights the Human Torch. I mean, well, what's confusing about that? I mean, they fight all the time. Well, that's true, but you know, the, the Human Torch is rarely mouthing off about the Demon Cult while he's doing so. Rarely. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll fully grant that. Absolutely. No, I was. Yes, I was. I was going like, wait, this doesn't look right. I'm getting a major disconnect here. Absolutely. Right. About, about and and then the human torch the, on this here. Yes. And absolutely. we know from the issue that this is a misdirect, that this is probably a miscommunication of some kind because that, that particular character as rendered inside the issue is not in fact the human torch and does not look like him. So once again, comic book covers lie. Oh, I agree completely that they lie. And in fact, I'm wondering if they lied intentionally. <laughs> let's make you know, wow. I that's what I wondered make, as well. make him look like the torch a bit more and let's make people think he's fighting the torch that'll get more people to that'll get more, a few more people to grab this i thought i was going to be the most cynical person on this podcast and al you <laughs> you blew me right out the water right there i i'm impressed i, I, I just I think about what i would well. do i have it in my notes as well al so yeah i'm with you it's like i did go like this does was it a was it really a try to just get people seeing this book on the stands and go, ooh, the torch is in here too? I may maybe. Maybe. And yeah, I, I that's I do wonder that. Yeah, that was my thought. Is mm -hmm. he being mind controlled? Who is this demon cult? I think we have just right. sown the seeds of a much more interesting issue than the one we got. <laughs> Instead of random guy becomes evil villain and then goes back yeah. to normal. Yeah. So yeah, as that, you were, that could be more fun were, with the human torch in the place of that guy, like the, him being controlled by the cult. So as you were saying, Al, though, you're right. The 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 soiree thing, the the link to the art world with, you know, in the first two issues, we had it well established that Jess is an art world thing person mover happening. And, likes to buy stuff. And harmony. Like I wasn't gonna say he's like is he an artist? Is he an art? Because of what he did this whole sketch thing going on with the at, during the fight at the end of uh, the last uh, issue we did. But and Harmony's an art critic, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. so right. So they both have links to the art world. So 
you know, Alicia is a great link to pull the thing in here. And this might be the last positive thing I have to say about this issue. And I'm going to give that entirely to Bill Mantlo, who was, you know, I have nothing bad to say about Bill Mantlo. Like he did. I'm sure he did his best under the circumstances with what we're about to tackle. But, um, you know, he was always a genius at managing the Marvel Universe and its relationships between various properties. So, uh, you know, he did a real good job there. Yeah, no, he found, I mean, at least it has a good link as opposed to just let's figure out, let's just have them meet on a street corner. Right, exactly. Run into him accidentally or something, you know. You know, or break into their house at night or something. I don't know. So at least, um, but, you know, this, there's a reason for this. And then, of course, we have to spend a couple pages recapping everything that happened. Everything, last right. Months. Because we cannot assume for one second that anybody even heard of, much less bought uh, Dead of Night and um, uh, what was the other one? Marvel. Marvel Spotlight. Marvel Spotlight. There's a better chance people have bought Marvel Spotlight than, than Dead of Night. Because at least Marvel Spotlight was up to 26 and still had more issues after that. So it was selling. Dead of Night, remember, that was the last issue of that series. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So yep. it was probably, you know, that probably had the least amount of eyes. I mean, ironically enough, I think we can all agree from what we said last time and what we're saying now is that probably Dead of Night was the best story. Spotlight is the se- is sec- is a second yes. and this yeah, is no, a third. It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, easily. Yeah, easily. Oh, yes. And yet sales wise, I can almost guarantee the reverse. More uh, people read, more people bought Marvel two and one, then bought Marvel Spotlight. No, that's true. Although, oh, absolutely. Then bought in, Night. In my in my head, inside my head, I'm still hoping that more people bought Dead of Night just because it was the best of the three. It was awesome. Yeah, but since it was the last issue, mm. it was canceled after that. It probably was not the least selling out of all of them. Well, and I'll, the story I'll, featured, series featuring the Thing probably sold the best. I'll put a little twist on it in that. Dead of Night 11, I'm sure, did not sell well. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a certain degree of speculators who picked it up because there was a lot of number one written on it. Yeah. To hype, to hype up Scarecrow. That's so, very possible. Again, again, that's a little marketing last gasp to salvage Dead of Night. But I'm sure it didn't, it was not going to be enough to stop the cancellation. Yeah, you know, so it's like they probably got a so the, it, I bet it got a, a a bump. It may have gotten a little bit of a bump compared to Dead of Night number ten. Possible, mm, that's just reprint. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, now I will give some credit here. Besides the fact of a good reason to bring the thing in, it does make sense. Hey, we have this weird supernatural, you know, super tight problem. Do we know anyone that has connections to superheroes? Maybe let's get somebody to help figure this out. I can't blame them for doing that. I mean, it's not like they pe- people in the street, especially in this, this time period, knew who Dr. Strange was to call him up and go, yo, Doc, we got this evil painting in these cults, uh, monsters coming out of paintings, you know, giant Cthulhu type things. Can you give us a hand? Was this at the was at this point in Marvel Universe history, was Dr. Strange still wearing the weird full head hood mask thing? No, he had stopped that, I believe, before Defenders even started. Oh, okay. okay. But, I mean, it's not like he was publicly known. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, who would be publicly known? The X-Men? 
the Fantastic yeah. Four and the Avengers. Right, right. Makes sense. Hey, let's call the uh, you know the Hulk. We're not going to call the yeah. That's going to help. Let's call the Hulk. Well, um, I, well, I like I did like the novel. I did like the novel thing about being art people. They went to their friend who's an artist who has a superhero connection. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's I think that's Matt Lowe helping pull the story together. Right, right. Like that's a, what absolutely. other artist? Yeah, what other artist would they go to in the Marvel universe? I can't think of any. Try to think of any that that would. I mean, there's no. Who is the who is the 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 artist equivalent of Matt Murdock as a lawyer? I don't really know of any besides Alicia Masters. No, you're right. I think yeah. there weren't a whole weirdly there were not a whole lot of artists running around the Marvel universe in the 60s and 70s. The closest they would have had in this character didn't even Unless they go to yeah. the Marvel office itself. Yeah. Ah. Unless they go but to again, the Marvel they... office themselves and just talk to Stan and Jack right there because they that could do that in the that Marvel comics. <laughs> that would have wound up in an issue of not brand ech and that's probably not what they were going for. But yeah, I mean, the closest the closest character I can think of besides Alicia, and this is one who hadn't debuted yet, would be Dazzler. I mean, music, but that's at least connected. Well, that's yeah. connected no, to the, you know, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's more connected yeah. than to the artsy. Oh. And then let's say, for instance, like you said, Matt Murdock, lawyer, that's it's more connected than that. You know, okay. there would be connections there, but that's like or, said, the closest, I, you know, I'm holding straws the, um, there. The, or you go the, the rich route and go Tony Stark from, you know. Because obviously, you know, that uh, feels Josh's like something money. they would have pulled Jess, at Jess some money. point. Got money. Yeah, that that feels like something they would have yeah. pulled at some point. He's a multimillionaire industrialist. Of course, he shows up at swanky art soirees, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just going to real quick uh, and and very briefly, too late, uh, register my first two <laughs> complaints. <laughs> about this issue my first two sprinklings of salt as it were um first of all um first of all at least going by the splash page but this is i'm i'm not going to belabor this by commenting on it on every single you know page and every single panel so i'll just say you know i'm a the art in this particular issue is by even by marvel 70s standards hella ugly and I'm going to lay that at the feet of Ron Wilson as the penciler because I've seen the works of uh, Dan Adkins and Jim Mooney, who were the inkers in various other contexts. And, you know, they can certainly uh, keep hang with with with, you know, guys like, you know, Don Heck and 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 Gil Kane and other guys who were working at this time who were, you know, churning out stuff real fast. And this 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 is just hell ugly. The fact that it is comprehensible at all to my eye, I'm going to actually give credit to the colorist, Hugh Paley, and whoever gussied up the colors digitally for the um, Epic Collection, which is how I'm reading this. I'm reading this in Marvel 2-in-1 Epic Collection, Volume 1, Cry Monster. Um, and uh, 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 so, But those colors is kind of all that's keeping it comprehensible. The art is just... Yeah. And my second complaint, uh, again, I'll keep it as brief as I, I can, is that I have I am not at any point we're going to get to the end of this issue. And I'm still not going to be over the fact that even more so than usual and even more than so than is justified by his character depiction thus far. Ben is pretty much a giant dick throughout this entire issue. 
He is. Uh, they do give a reason for it, though. So okay. I can accept that. We'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, because mm-hmm. he is because he even he even acknowledges that he's being one. OK, that's fair. That's fair. He's having issues with the suit. The supernatural apparently bothers him because at first I'm reading this mm-hmm. going, why is Ben having such a weird time believing this? He's dealt with teleportation and other dimensions. Well, right. Like that. Right. But everything for him is especially with Reed. There's a scientific basis for it. And I think that's how Ben's able to deal with these things. It's like, well, it's based in science and Reed understands it. So it makes sense. So it's OK. This is like magic. And that, and that mm-hmm. freaks him the F out. Yeah, because he even talks about like the yeah. whole when he met, you know, Damon Hellstrom in issue 14 and that kind of bothered him. Or like the mm-hmm. fact that his clothes get burned off later by the creature's fire. And he's like, this is treated by the stuff that we put give put the torches clothes in. This should not be burning. Right. Why is this burning? Yeah. Right. And it's mm-hmm. it's putting it past his ability to comprehend it. It's flipping him out. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. And maybe yeah. also because it's maybe it might be a little scary for him because it's now, you know, based on the science, you know, the science stuff, he knows what he can do and he knows what he's invulnerable to. Now with magic and stuff, it's almost like he's as vulnerable as any normal human being. No, that's true. I, that's true. He has yeah. his coping mechanisms and that gets around them. I can see that I'm going to be like the one in the middle between the two sides because unfortunately i can see i can see both sides a little too much especially on on ben's dislike of the supernatural i did read uh marvel two and one from issue number one this year i've started reading it through i've gotten to not the 40s so that's been really fun um but boy he comes in like issue number one has man thing as the guest star which is you know hella creepy you know and they like road not traveled thing for ben Grimm to go there but also he meets up with ghost rider and the Gollum, and yet yeah, then son of Satan that we've that you mentioned, and it's like, and then the Scarecrow here, he's soon gonna be running into, uh, like werewolf by night and things like that. So he's being as part of this team up book. Its mandate is to bring in ex- uh, the strange or unknown parts or lesser popular parts of the Marvel universe and explore it. So it's you know doing a great job on that, and it's like, but yeah, he's wigged out by the things that he's seen i think the Ghost Rider story especially when i read that one that's like what the freak it was a crazy <laughs> story i will tell you right now but the other side as i'll say is that ben puts it out on the table in the very first page in the fact that he hates being dressed up at soirees so he's being a little boy who yeah. wants to go home and stomping his feet that he doesn't want to be here so it's like i i can see it's on like both is that he no, doesn't like the that. supernatural. It wigs him out, but he's handling it poorly because he doesn't want to be at this party anyway. And, and it's like, come on, that is not that's not good. That's not being a good boyfriend to Alicia. I'm no, so I, sorry. Agreed. That's what I'm going to no. judge him on is that he's being a bad boyfriend to Alicia. Okay, your argument there. And I'll agree with that. And actually, it reminds me of something. Um, some years ago, uh, the last uh, podcast I was involved with uh, as a host on a regular basis. Um, was a Sergeant Rock and the Howling Commandos podcast. Brian actually means Sergeant Fury. Hmm. And uh, we only got about up to about issue 10 or so before uh, the work changed our schedules and my partner and I could no longer meet up for uh, for records. But that's aside. The point, the reason I'm bringing this up now is we were only a few issues in now we're both both me and my co-host at that time, Dion Baya, we were um, 
are, we both remain giant history nerds. And this comic that was purportedly about World War II was just rubbing us the wrong way on a certain like on a certain depiction level. Like, was World War II really like this? This seems troubling on some level. And so we started digging in and we started trying to figure it out. And we we're only a couple episodes in when we figured it out, which was what Stan Lee and initially Jack Kirby and then later on, um, I believe it was uh, Dick Ayers. Yeah, we're doing with this story was depicting Sergeant Rock and the Howling Commandos in 1963 as a gang of teenage roughnecks. They were not highly trained professional soldiers executing you know, precision missions against the Nazi enemy. They were roughneck boys getting into fights with rival gangs and getting, you know, like, uh, it was the newsboy all, legion. all put out, you know, the little bit of an insult and this, that, and the other thing. And once we figured out that sort of Dakota ring, uh, look at this series, all of a sudden it made total sense to us. And that's a little bit. And the reason I bring that up right now is that's a little bit of what's going on here. As Tim points out is that the thing is not reacting to all of this the way a guy with, you know, I, I always assumed Ben Grimm was in his late 30s, early 40s before he became the thing. This is not a guy with a lot of life under his belt and some maturity reacting to things. This is the way a presumptive audience member would react to this sort of situation. And they're making Ben the stand in for the presumptive audience member. And that always sort of that was never a trope I adored. I always liked it when Marvel presented its characters to us as, you know, their own thing, not stand-ins for us, but their own thing that we could like like look up to and maybe imagine ourselves better in. You get what I'm saying? No, I love it. Saying. I love but it. I also so, realize yeah. something here. When it comes to because you're right, Tim, and he does this quite a bit with, you know, especially with Alicia when he she wants him to be at these things and he doesn't want to be in the monkey suit and all that kind of stuff. He's very Sam Malone mm -hmm. from Cheers. Mm -hmm. Whenever yeah. Diane yeah. tries to take yeah. him somewhere, Sam's reaction is basically the same as Ben's. Yeah. You know, especially when he was dating Diane, when she tries to dress him up and mm -hmm. do things like that, do anything fancy. His brain just starts going, nope, 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 nope. Although, to be fair, I do need to point out that for all of my long-winded bitching uh, a couple minutes ago, um, this thing on page two where he goes, ow, I was only joking, baby. You didn't have to go and kick me. <laughs> I have actually done that, and Marilyn will not let me forget that. <laughs> <laughs> that I that I that I have done that where she has tried to signal me like surreptitiously under the table at a social mm -hmm. event. And I just was like, ow, why did you kick me? Oh, wait, sorry. And, and the, the and then going from the second to the third panel there, the second when he when um, he says, when was the last time you tried to squeeze 500 pounds into a tuxedo? Ow, something wrong, darling. Uh, no, baby, nothing I can think of. Like he learned, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I love, I love the side of Alicia. I don't think I've seen it nearly often enough. Yeah, I love her that. kind of putting Ben in his place. It's like, and so I'm like, no, I'm not scared of you. 
it it is wonderful to see my first exposure to alicia masters was in the john byrne years in about 1985 at which Mm -hmm. point she had you know ben was gone and she was johnny's girlfriend so to this day it still always takes me a moment when i see alicia paired up with ben which i'm intellectually aware you know was the status for most of their existence but it's still always a little weird to me since my first exposure to her was as Johnny's girlfriend. Uh, Elijah forever. <laughs> <laughs> I did know them long before that from other sources, although my biggest collecting started during the John Byrne era. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I, I've read other f- things with the Fantastic Four before then. So it's like, oh, yeah, pretty much established early on. I mean, yeah, one of the earliest things was the Treasury edition, which featured the Galactus trilogy. So. Yeah, we're talking that's early stuff. But, Love yeah. Ben's devotion to space 1999. That's fantastic. That's like, true. Yeah, was, yeah that, that was so cool. But after the fun of the party and Ben being, which I would love to see this like action live action with Alicia hitting Ben. That'd be so much fun. Oh, that <laughs> would be fantastic. <laughs> but after that, that's when we get the recap of like what? Two, three pages. Yeah. Yeah. Like two and a half pages of the recap of the last two issues. And that's why I'm wondering off also the re- what I said about Dead of Night selling the lease, because the recap is basically all the Dead of Night story. The Marvel Spotlight story is just talked about in briefly in a in a word balloon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw the scarecrow again, and this time just mm-hmm. saw him too. And that's it. Yeah. But I in fairness to the other side, is that Dead of Night really had more details about where this painting came from, why they're involved in the story at all, why the scarecrow's involved. It did more setup. Right. It, it wasn't was an origin, but it did more setup. And yeah, and I also agree. It was the better story. And it's like, do we really need to see the escapee from Namor's aquarium that showed up in um, yeah. Spotlight? No. No, no. no, we don't need to see that. It had Yeah, how, we never need to revisit that, that weirdness. Anyway, I still don't know that part, but yeah. But so Ben storms off ah. for all the reasons we said before. Multiple. There are multiple reasons for this. And wait, some wait, understandable, wait, 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 wait. some just cranky. And then yes. Alicia says, I'm sorry, Harmony, Jess. Ben's never done anything like that before. He hasn't. <laughs> That's just a lot. Alicia Masters, you are lying. Oh, God, yeah. Well, That's what we call a lie. <laughs> yes, I agree. Well, no, I could see that, though. To People who don't know him, you say that. If that was Reed and Sue, she'd be making comments. <laughs> yeah. No, they'd already know. She wouldn't have to say anything. They would know. It'd be like, mm-hmm. Alicia, I'm sorry, dear, but you know Ben could be a big child. Yes, I know. <laughs> because they know him. Mm-hmm. These people don't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a it's kind of like what's that phrase? You know, you can't hit my brother, only I can hit my brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of, of hitting brothers. Or brothers I'm, hitting on things. <laughs> on on the same page, the stones on David to I be know. M- making the move on Alicia with Ben right there. You must not want to be breathing much longer, brother. Well, <laughs> all, yeah, I was I was blown away by that. I honestly, I, I just gotta get off my. I'll, I'll he looks chance. like Jasper I was Sitwell blown there. away by that whole by this whole thing about anybody making a movement on Alicia Masters known throughout new york as the thing's girlfriend yeah you are insane no 
truth. So I just that I, I thought that was, it just blew me away. Just blew me away. <laughs> and and also not you know to get too deep into a a, a a weirdness. Well, what the hell? I'll get deep into the weirdness because this is <laughs> it's me. A weird issue. Go for it. This is this is me, and this is this podcast because I don't know those first two issues we got. Like I really was starting to form this idea in my head of Jess, uh, Dave, and and Harmony as like this sort of weird sort of thruple kind of thing going on. And well, oh, you're not maybe, you're not alone in that thought. And maybe, <laughs> may, and but now I'm thinking, holy crap, how open is their relationship with Dave just openly coming onto Alicia like this? Like what? In front of Harmony. In front of Harmony. That was my thought too. Like on the flip side, this is 19 what 76. So. They were they were teenagers in the 60s. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> they just college wanted age. to. They were they college just, students in the 60s. They just wanted the key for the fantastic car to be at their key party. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, although, uh, real, real quick, uh, uh, again, I'd said I wouldn't belabor it. So I'll just make a brief mention. The art once again, gets super weird and unpleasant, uh, here when Dave is coming on to Alicia because he's shown in profile and like, what is up with his glasses and his nose here? Like they're not working together in any way known to physics or anatomy. It's just, it, doesn't look the way he looked before. I remember him being skinnier. He looks more like sixties Jack, you know, Jack Kirby drawing Jasper Sitwell from Shield. Truth, truth, truth. So it's it's a little off model. Like okay, and Harmony looks a little off too. I mean, honestly, the way he draws like both Harmony and Alicia, it's like he he might be better off for like one of the romance comics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not. Sure. Uh, yep. But yeah, so and that's kind of like the way he's drawing him. He's almost trying to draw him like that kind of leading man type look. He's yeah, trying he's to get that big jutting chin and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work for him, but anyway, so by the way, so Ben's a jerk to people at the party. <laughs> yeah, I love that line <laughs> by pretending not to have seen me. Lady, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how I could have missed you. Like and then he rude, but yes. hilariously so. Yeah. Now that's oh, yeah. the Ben Grimm yeah. we like. I love that's the Ben Grimm we like. And mm-hmm. that's when he that's realizes, funny. why am I being a jerk? Right. Now we mm-hmm. get a little bit of yeah introspection. Well, if I can, before we get too much into that, I gotta call out David one more time because what does he say specifically to Alicia? It's like, oh, what well, are you with someone, Alicia? Yeah, I thought I heard a grunt. Oh, you could just hear the sarcasm going on over there. Yeah, like he thinks he's going to compete for her affections with Ben Grimm again with this whole like adolescent, like portraying everyone in mm-hmm. the comic as an adolescent. You know, the ever loving blue eyed thing. Yeah, yeah, you got you got it. Like you, you got a chance against him. I I oh, believe the name of so Aunt funny. Petunia will be invoked. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to get knocked down the Yancey Street if he's not careful. (laughs) Someone's going to end up disappearing behind a painting forever. Oh, that's a whole different problem. That's what happens when you hit on Alicia. Spoilers. That's what happens when you hit on Alicia. Right. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, yeah, Ben Ben introspects. The March to Victory. Flames of the Second World War burn across the globe. 
In the European theater of war, the Allied forces push back against the evil of Nazi Germany. In pushing our boys ahead at the front, no band of brothers fought harder and more ferociously than Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Marvel Comics immortalized the courageous exploits of Sergeant Fury, Dum Dum Dugan, Gabe Jones, and the rest of the elite fighting unit. Well, hell, heavens and Arkansas, here they come now, Sergeant Fury! Look alive, you gold bricks! I'm not fighting the war by myself out here. What do you think we're gonna do when the Nazis actually show up? Come on, you boys, march! Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast will follow those ripping stories of combat and bravery from the beginning. Join Brian Zeno and Dion Baia every other Monday as they dig into Marvel's classic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos issue by issue with humor and historical insight. Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast is available on iTunes and at furycast.podwits.com and is part of the Podwits Podcast Network. Face front, soldier! Wahoo! Yes, which I'm wondering would be very relatable to the assumed, you know, whether it is or not, assumed teenage audience at this time. Because I can mm. remember being a teenager a lot of times and being like, why am I, you know, like you're angry and pissed off and you don't know why you are and why am I behaving like a jackass? Mm-hmm. And you keep saying that instead of stopping yourself, you keep saying the wrong thing more and more. Been there, done that. Yep. And that's what Ben's doing. Although he does try and at least make up for it after he breaks the, well, priceless antique or, you know, ashtray, whatever. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's a nice little callback to show that this is a different time where there's an ashtray at this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Party. Nice. And it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, there's a you know, hey, we have an ashtrays out here in case people, you know, having a smoke, want to put it out. What's an ashtray? <laughs> it's a fancy ashtray, though. I don't blame Ben for being for thinking that it was something valuable because yeah right it's like it, all artsy you know? and stuff yeah yeah well it's it's the decor fits someone was planning this right now oh, yeah there you go <laughs> you know it's kind of funny because uh, when I look at the art in this issue it's like yeah it's not really working for me but boy Ron Wilson's later work in Marvel Two and One is usually really good and often the you know lauded as like people's definitive Ben when we look at him later. So maybe it's just off to a rough start. Maybe he just that, wasn't I, I'm going nailing to it chalk, in his early yeah, issues. I'm going to chalk it up to early, early, early installment weirdness as TV tropes puts it. That makes sense. Mm, yeah. And now finally the plot is beginning after what page are we on now? <laughs> yep. Um, seven. Yeah. yeah oh, like and, and oh my God, the squareness of Dave's glasses! Like, oh my God, look, look, look at them! Look well, at them! They're the like picture frames. <laughs> look at his look at his face. It like turns into a triangle. It's like he it's like he all of a sudden like went from like being normal and healthy to being like you know a, you know stage four cancer and like being in hospice. Well, I think the funny thing <laughs> like, I got it's like it's all sunken in. It's like where did his face go? Here's the thing I got off of this. And again, this is what you were talking about it being early on in, in, in Ron Wilson's Marvel career, at least. And I'm getting the sense, you know, because he's doing a horror comic in a way, but he's doing a horror comic that has in a superhero book. And mm-hmm. so it looks yeah. to me when I'm going through these these pages and even, you know, again, not loving the art in any way, shape or form. It looks like Wilson is flip flopping between trying to be John Buscema and trying to be. Um, Bernie Wrightson, and it's like he can't decide which mode to be in. So it's like 
you get these weird sort of like alterations like midstream almost that makes sense that actually fits mm-hmm. yeah i like that yeah, yeah. And we get a, I don't think he shows up again, so I think it's our one panel, our one panel cameo by Calamai, the villain of Scarecrow. Yeah, exactly, yes. He pops in, hi, I'm here. It's like they're trying to establish a big bad, but the but the series didn't last long enough for him to actually make a proper appearance, so. It's like, here's your 30 seconds of Skeletor. Okay, he's out. We don't need him anymore. <laughs> what? Skeletor, yeah. We only have so much budget for him. You yeah. can't afford the budget for more the, Skeletor. Yeah, uh, um, our 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 youth, the upbringings of our youth. I never was much of a Masters of the Universe fan, so I never think Skeletor first thing. My first thought, of, like along those lines, is always Mumra. Hmm. Okay, uh-huh. that works too. Yeah. Same era. Yeah. 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 We can't afford to have Frank Langella this long. Okay, we're gonna have him for five seconds, and that's it. <laughs> but yeah, so he possesses some random art goer who knocks Dave out. Which seems to be the prerequisite to happen for all the Scarecrow stories. Which does stories. not look like what he's about to do. He looks like he's going to stab him. He looks like he's going yes. to stake him through the heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. But no. No, he just, like, it's always, like, thump. Like, we're just going to do, the, do, do the, the, the hit him in the back and knock him out thing. Scrat. Yeah. That's the sound effect. That's the sound of a concussion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he jumps through the the, the painting. Yes, I, I love I love the image of his face there, um, like wh- whispers urging him on, calling at him, calling him, and I'm like, them some righteous seventy sideburns there, right there. That's what that is. I love those. Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> now, so Ben's back listening to the story. So does anyone else know? Does anyone else confused by the I'm from Missouri, pal? I'm like, you are. And what does that even mean? Because he says, you know what that means? I'm like, no, I don't. Hmm. Uh, I, I do know what it means. I was confused about it maybe three years ago, but because it, it came up in another comic uh, from the same era. And, and someone explained it to me at that time. It's like, oh, okay. Missouri is the show me state. Oh. Yeah, I just looked so it I'm up. Not- yeah, so I'm not claiming. So that's why I've, I get a little precursor. So I'm not claiming that I'm that smart. I'm claiming that somebody told me about this a few years ago, and I'm barely uh, intelligent enough to remember something from a few years ago. So, but yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there going, "What? Do you yeah, mean like Missouri Avenue and Nancy Street." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm from, from Missouri. Missouri section of New York City. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I'm looking it up. It says it's from you know idioms from the Free Dictionary informal unwilling to accept something without proof skeptical yeah yeah i'm from missouri you gotta, you gotta show you gotta, me you're right. you, I'm from, yeah you gotta show me because i'm from the show me state yeah so. yeah yeah ben's ready to get out there and hopefully catch the last two minutes of space 1989 and he's and he's still being such a jerk like this whole thing where harmony's like actually making an effort to be nice to him despite what a jerk he's been and she goes well at least you tried to understand ben Thank you for that much. And he goes, anytime, sister, maybe sometimes I can help you out with a real problem. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's you're lucky you're made out of rocks or I would like like all of them would be trying to slug him at this point. <laughs> well, he's lucky he's made out of rock because his shins would probably be black and blue all over. Oh, He'd be hopping all after Alicia. He, mm-hmm. he ain't getting any. Like, I don't know what he and Alicia get up to back at, you know, like in their private time. But whatever it is, he ain't getting any of that. Nope. 
But does it matter? Because this is a comic, which means we have to have action. And we got screams coming from downstairs. Good Lord. I love that. That's uh, like, like, good Lord. And we get to see something coming out of a, which looks like a fire, a yellow fire badoon. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He like, like, this looks like, this looks like the love child of that uh, scalian human whose name I can never remember. Triton. Oh, Triton. Triton. This looks like the love child of Triton and Fire Lord. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking yeah, nothing at all yeah. like the character on the cover. Not. Nah, thank you, Al. I was about to say the exact same thing. On the Marvel Unlimited, he is bright yellow except for red trunks. Is that what you all have in your? Yes. That's what I have. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm reading okay. the digital version of the uh, Marvel Two in One Epic Collection. So mm, the, okay. the 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 coloring has been digitally corrected in exactly the same way. And I have it on Marvel Unlimited. So either, I mean, and to be fair, if they, if the digital for for Epic is probably the same as the uh, same Unlimited. source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So mm-hmm. if this is not right. the original, we none of us have that. Right. Harmony's reaction just rubs me the wrong way here because we've already had, okay, remember in the first issue, you know, the thugs came to take her. She started kicking ass. And, yes. you know, she the she's got a guy, you know, who's going to like sacrifice her on an altar with a wavy dagger. All she like, mocks him and she mocks him openly. And here she's like, Jess, Jess, it came out of the scarecrow painting, stared at me, made me feel like I was dead in heaven's name. Jess, what is it? And I'm like, who the hell are you? Because that Reed, ain't the heart of Maxwell. I know. Reed, what does it mean? Yeah, exactly. More Sue Storm oh. than Harmony <laughs> Maxwell for yeah, she's sure. She's sixty Sue. Yeah, no, it's a little. Yeah. That's a little disappointing. Yeah, I like I like the ass kicking Harmony better. That's what I'm saying. Those were characters I loved. What did right. you do with them, co-plotter Scott Edelman? What have you done? I do wonder <laughs> if this is suffering from the Marvel method a little bit, because oh, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's like Ron was given a rough idea what was going to happen here, and he did it the way that Marvel 2-in-1 does this. The women characters all freak react like this in Marvel comics. No matter what what their role is in the story, this is how they always react. So – no, you uh, you know, his partnership with the – his partnership with the previous – with the other artist for um, Dead of Night and and Marvel Spotlight, you know – that they were handling it very differently, but here Ron's just doing what he's what he's used to doing, right? So and it, oh, and then dialogue has to match the dialogue and, and, has to come and in later. To match. Well, so and I'm oh and I'm God. sure and I'm sure this be in the mid '70s, and it being the Marvel method, I'm a hundred percent sure that you're correct about this, Tim. I would just mm-hmm. say communication probably there probably wasn't like a especially this property there probably wasn't a character bible being passed around or whatever oh, so Lord, no. <laughs> you know given given what i'm positive character or, a character napkin right character napkin perhaps but not a bible tight production schedules the marvel method only scott edelman as co-plotter left over from any of the previous creative forces for all the credit that I do give Bill Mantlo for everything that he was able to do, I'm reasonably sure that there was very little in the way of communication, especially on the level that would have let him know who Harmony Maxwell really was. So you're right. He probably saw, here's a trio, two men and a woman. The woman is probably the, uh, the, the damsel in distress. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, whereas if, you and I know it's usually actually Dave is usually the damsel in distress. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, and I mean, indeed. there's, I mean, it says co-plotter, but I, I mean, you have to wonder since he doesn't normally have a co-plotter in these books. You know, it's usually Mantlo's writing. So, I mean, I don't. I have to wonder: was it actually the two of them sitting there late at night working out the plot, or did they go to lunch and basically he asked them a few things about the scarecrow, just to you know give him just enough to go, cool. I can give you. You can get co-plotter. co-plotter you want to know for this? You want to know something? I think even you're being too generous, Al. I'm betting, like, if I had to place money on on a on what the real situation was, I'd say they probably decided to have Bill Mantlo make a silk purse out of the what they considered a sow's ear of the leftover scarecrow property did not involve Scott Edelman in any way, shape or form. And that was just their way of acknowledging that, well, he created these characters in the in the beginning. And I think if this had been published any time after 2000, it would have said something along the lines of and thanks to Scott Edelman for the plot assist or something like that. Yeah. Now, on Scott's page, this is what he says exactly about it. So. It says, um, his story comes to a conclusion of sorts in a story I co-plotted with Bill Mantlo from Marvel 2 and number 18, in which he teamed up with the thing. And that's all he says about that. So, um, yeah, he was not I, I wonder, in any way, shape or form. I'll go with maybe he had like, yeah. you know, he had a lunch, you know, maybe that was enough for them to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. You, cre- you know, to give him credit. But that's the I, most. I wonder if it's I wonder I'll, I'll go a little deeper into two is that maybe the real co-plotter. Um, credit was solely because they used so much of the story from Dead of Night in this issue. Oh yeah, that yeah, they yeah, were yeah. not going to. Yeah, that they, were, <laughs> you know, that they they kept credit him solely because of that. And maybe yeah, I bet. But I bet Mantlo probably had those stories and then like got on the phone with Scott and had just a couple of questions about these characters, about the about these stories, and Scott told him what he had, and that again, you know, just like cemented the rest. But Mantlo just uh, took it and ran with it from there. I, I fully on board with the idea that yeah, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I, so I do, I do like the idea that a plot assist credit today would have been comparable to, to that same thing um, for for Scott, just because they used you know basically two pages of his older stories here in this book. You know what so, though, Tim, I am going to now come down hard in agreement with you um, as far as uh, the Marvel method being employed here on the creation of this mm-hmm. issue and here's yeah. why there's this one panel right here where the 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 weird flamey dude who i don't know if we ever get a proper name for him no weird he never flamey. has a name right so weird flamey dude not torch he's not torch yeah not not exclamation point torch um does the the <laughs> the the blasty thing and thing like it says in actual spoken word balloons flames from his hands, burning the tux right off me. And that sort of like exclamatory describing the obvious is a surefire telltale sign of the Marvel method at work. I wrote this whole thing for our old podcast website many, many years ago mm-hmm. about like reading, reading Stan and Jack stuff in the, especially in the early sixties and how weird it was to read that stuff given like what modern comics were that I'd grown up reading were like. And I realized that that's the result of the Marvel method that when the plotter and when the penciler takes the plot and gives you a panel that then you as the scripter feel is not sufficient 
sufficiently clear or expressive or whatever, or does something that you feel the need to fundamentally change plot wise, you will just have the character in the panel yell out something super obvious, regardless of what the plotter and penciler intended, because now it's your turn to guide what's happening. And that's a surefire indicator of that. So yeah, this proves it that that's what was going on here. Yeah. And I, okay. You know what? I have, I have something we can call him this guy. Cause Ben says it on the first panel of that page. It's indigestion kid. It's gotta be. So <laughs> indigestion kid. Indigestion, that's what he's fighting. The indigestion kid. There you go. I love it. Love it. This is the one thing I was saying before about the whole supernatural thing where it's like, he's talking to Ben, you know, the next panel, which is, a better looking panel and also makes more sense at least what's being said because that's not information that could be you know that would have been possible to even get from the art is that those are special you know those are clothes treated to be like for the human torch so that right. they shouldn't burn but they can burn which means this is something more than just the science and again ben is not mm-hmm. this is the thing that ben's not comfortable with because this is new and weird and ben is not always good with the new and weird no, that's that that's true. He is easily freaked out by Reed's BS. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, the main thing is that I'll say from the Marvel method on this is that I think though that the the no prize problem that has to be solved is why Ben's trunks don't get burned up too, and it's like it actually with the the panels would have been simpler if his tux was just a normal tux because then it just burns away. Okay, that will, yeah. Special, unstable effort, attention, but they didn't need to do it, really? I didn't think about more, that. Like, like, right. Dang, that hurts. And I'm not supposed, that's not supposed to hurt me. You know, something like that. Yeah. Why is this hurting me? I can stand to the fl- torches flames. Why is, why am I, why is this make me feel so weird? You know, they could have gone yeah. that route. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe interesting kid thought he was helping because that's all he's wearing is trunks. And maybe he's like, what are those weird things on you? I'll get them off. Don't worry. There you go. Now you're dressed yeah. like me. Much yeah. better. I, I'm actually got, went in a completely <laughs> different direction with my no prize explanation, which was that Reed was like, he's going to an art soiree. I'll tell him these are unstable molecules, but we've, <laughs> Both oh, something's no. gonna happen and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> Come on. You know, uh, this is the, that's how Reed entertained himself. Reed, we never saw Reed it on is, the page, but we know that's how mm, Reed entertained himself. Well, well, well actually here this I will work. Disprove or, or prove that either yeah. way. <laughs> or the torch switched them, because that's definitely okay. Oh, okay. That's, Obviously. That's what happened. Obviously. You now, now you've gotten it. Al, you get the no prize. Yes, Al. Thank you, Al. <laughs> yeah, the torch switched his clothes, and he's snickering. He's right now at home laughing himself silly, because he knows every time, every time thing leaves the Baxter Building, something happens, and he's like snickering that yeah, those molecules ain't nearly as unstable as Ben thinks they are. T. Now that would have been a perfect one camel one camp panel cameo for the torch. I would have been perfectly happy if they did that. Threw that in there. Oh, that's fantastic. But now, anyway, so Ben now sees the scarecrow, and he's alive. Mm-hmm. Standing uh, with his hands on his hips and his feet apart. Although, because of the way they write... Akimbo. He is Akimbo. Akimbo. Of course, because of the way they always write Ben's dialogue, I got confused for a second. He goes, it's the pitcher. I'm like, what? 
Oh, oh, the picture, the painting. Again, That's right. All respect to Mantlo, but yeah, his Ben Grimm dialogue Kate does like waver in its level of Ben Grimness. Like the panel, like in the middle of the, this page, where it goes, Stretch made these duds special out of them same mo- unstable molecules, what the torch wears. And I'm like, okay, what the torch wears is okay. Now we've gone a little bit too much, like, um, oh God, what we're uh, like, our gang. Or like, oh man, okay, the yeah. rascals. Yeah, yeah, you know, like he's just gone a little <laughs> too far in that direction by my uh, lights. Tonight, on uh, tonight's episode, Ben Grimm will be played by Spanky. That's right, but so that when you say like the pitcher, you know, yeah, you're right. It like it took me a moment, mm-hmm. like you know, it, I thought he was indigestion kid. Now he's the pitcher. Oh wait, no, that's the oh, wait. But yeah, so indigestion well, is alfalfa, kid. so that does work actually. <laughs> That's true. So indigestion kid fights the scarecrow with the Triton trident made out of fire. Again, love child of Triton and um, Fire Lord. Yeah, it's true. And uh, what is it? So there's a lot of small panels in these pages. I notice, although I do like that next page after you get the tri- after you get the tri- the the page after you get the uh, the trident yeah where he goes mm-hmm. from the first panel to the second panel yes where it's yes. all one image mm-hmm. of ben but the first panel goes down the entire length of the page you get the, that one side of ben the next panel only just shows his face and hand but it's the same picture no that and mm-hmm. that's cool but real quick go back to the previous page so we have the panel yes. with the trident what is the scarecrow doing he, well, he threw he threw a trident at. I can't. I'm not oh, to say it. In the Justin Kid. Yes. He, yes. Oh, yes. I he threw one at him, and oh, he's melting and, it. And, and he's melting okay. it. Okay. Yes. I thought he'd like formed it out of. Okay. Oh, that. That's why he doesn't have it anymore. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Okay. See, group reading, comprehension through group reading. <laughs> Necessary for issues like this, this. Yeah, it's a team project, definitely. We need <laughs> these comics as a team project. We need oh, that. Oh, God, it takes three of us to decipher one of these things. I tell you what. Now, that's why I never got through the Similarian. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's only one of you. I can't even say Similarians. I have no idea if I'm saying it right. <laughs> Silmarillion. Silmarillion. And the only reason I know that is because I'm a big fan of the band Marillion, which was initially named the Silmarillion and took and dropped the first syllable before they got signed to a record deal. Yeah, I've heard it both ways, so you know. I ain't got no silver millions. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Pipe down there, Ben. And this is this is all very appropriate for this particular uh, podcast. This is all very Jim Starlin, the second uh, the second person narration. And still, you stand and watch thing. You know, it's all all of this like like narration addressing the main character. That's very Jim Starlin. Yeah, mm. yeah he definitely he is definitely one of the ones who did the uh, third person or was it second person on the potent or something? Se- second second person uh, yeah, narration. Second person. I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I know he did some of the early issues. I'm not sure how many he did, but I know he did some of the early issues of uh, Shang Chi. Oh, really? I did not. Well, he's ah. a co-creator. And oh, I, I had, had no idea. That's yep, cool. And I, I had like the sec I had early on like the second or third appearance of him. And there's a lot of that in there. 
from what I remember. It was all nice. it was like one of the comics mm-hmm. I had that had a lot of the, that type of narration. I'm pretty sure that was a Jim that was Jim Starlin as well. So now we get a little bit of the manifestation of the luncheon between uh, Mantlo and Edelman, should such a thing have actually happened. Because <laughs> here in one panel, Jess and Harmony finally drop the explanation for the whole three-issue series that we never got, which is, you know, something on the other side of the... We think the painting's a door. Something on the other side, this god named Kalumai has been trying to get out, and the Scarecrow is the guardian keeping him from doing so. Boom. That's the explanation. I, we were all... We were, in fact, Jess and Harmony. We were, in fact, wondering why you had called us all here today, and now you have finally explained yourselves. We've done our job. Although I still keep thinking Calumny Cal- is like the same name. It sounds like the name of the band that did the theme song for C Lab 2021. So, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was a name like Calumny or something with a C, not a K. But that's all I keep thinking of. So I keep reading these things. I keep hearing the song from C Lab. Oh, uh, and wait, I, I now know. we got a call back because he says actually here, because as soon as I finish with this two bit human torch. Oh, so he too saw. So he too. He too saw the cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ben's not happy with that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, by the way, real quick, I looked up real quick. So, yeah, the issue I'm talking, I was talking about with Shang-Chi was special Marvel edition number 16. And yeah, writer Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. So yeah, that makes fascinating. Sense. That's great. That, that mm. fits with the whole Jim Starlin. Interesting. Thing, that kind of mm-hmm. perspective. But anyway, and Ben of course gets the shocker as he ties the guy up and smacks him around. And then the scarecrow's right does. behind him, laughing hysterically. Which has got to be really unsettling to have this guy just there, just laughing. Mm-hmm. And laughing like that, like that. <laughs> yeah, you know that's exactly what it sounds like too. Yeah. Only with only with like special 1970s sound effects on it so that it actually achieves cuz they all say the all who hear his mocking laughter are struck to the heart with dread. So you know like they're adding like some like echoplex and like like uh layer like digital light not digital but like ring modulator layering on it to make it sound extra spooky. Yeah, they're oh, yeah. they're putting it all through the, the disco machine and everything. <laughs> the disco machine, exactly. <laughs> yes. I was gonna say auto tune or something, but I realized that didn't exist in the '70s. So I'm like, I have no idea what exists. It's some kind of disco machine. Whatever they did to take turn the Star Wars theme into a disco song, I don't know. Just me. I was the one had that album. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask for it. I was like four. I don't know if we asked for things. I, I'm, I'm not. We're not judging you at all, Al. But we are. No, judging you. no, no, not yeah, at all. But we are all. judging you. We're judging. Nor you are we lying. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Ben gets slapped. Ben gets says shot in the back by the soul searing fire. Yes, and thus the this is pain of the soul, and thus the body falls. So Ghost Rider pop Ghost Rider should be popping in to get make you know sue for copyright infringement. And the laughter stops the demon. And then he makes it rain. Hmm. Sure, why not? 
So, yeah. He can do that, right? Well, Scarecrow made a tree grow weird. That and is impale true. a guy. That is true. We do, like, we have never exactly established by limitation or expansion what exactly the Scarecrow can do. He just, he turns up and he does the thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all kept very vague. I wonder if that's intentional or if it was all just, ah, we'll deal with it later if he ever gets a series kind of a thing. Well, I get. I guess though the reigning makes sense. I mean, for the kind of character he's supposed to be, like this kind of vaguely supernatural, this you know kind of supernatural, you know, can do things that can almost be considered like natural at times, but not really. Yeah, like, but you know, I think have animals show up, you know, or affect, you know have the weather also get foggy or whatever. I think truthfully, and to get you know, I know we've been having great fun mocking this uh, uh, issue, and I'm going to return to joining you in mocking the issue momentarily. <laughs> But uh, to get like serious for for just a second, I think we have just right there isolated what, in my opinion, is the reason for the scarecrow, this scarecrow's demise as a story property, because, you know, if you've ever read a book on writing, specifically on writing science fiction and fantasy, a big deal is made. And I don't think that they do it just to impose, you know, the rules of the guild on the up and coming writer. I think they're like solid, you know, we telling you to do this because this is how it actually works. Um, they make a big deal about establishing rules for your magic. You need to like, if you're going to introduce magic into whatever story you're telling, you need to explain how, if not how the magic works, at least what like, what is the nature of the magic and what are its limitations? What are its costs? You know, it can't just be, I wave my fingers and anything I want to happen, happen. The only story like that, that's like that, that ever worked was it's a good life by Jerome Bixby. Right. So I think here, because either, you know, they felt like, Oh, the scarecrow works just fine as a character who shows up and does anything magical needed to vanquish the, uh, the, uh, baddie of the issue. He's a functional deus ex machina. Or if it's because they figured they deal with it later and just didn't have time because this, but I think that is actually why this character and this property and this premise failed because that absolutely necessary, like the readers might not have I guarantee you, like, no readers, maybe uh, one or two, but no readers were really, like, being consciously aware of this or parsing this in their minds. But I think on some fundamental level, they were being left dissatisfied by this story because it wasn't making its rules clear. Like, comic book readers like to know like what are the powers what can they do what is the what is the na- what are the rules of this particular story that you're wanting to tell me well he can be stopped by kryptonite oh the matter he gets the the stronger he gets oh you know he you know can stick to walls like they want to know what the rules are and the fact that there is not even a notional gesture made at establishing any kind of rules in this story i think that is why readers never warmed up to it as cool as the characters as the three human characters are i think that's what's going on here no i can agree with that i have some thoughts on that but al you go first oh sorry i was just gonna say real quick because we're gonna get another new power in another page or so (laughs) of course we are yes 
my, my counterpoint on that is I, I completely agree, Brian, with that, especially in novels and other books like that and, and other kinds of uh, media. The one thing about superhero as a genre in comic books is that there's a lot of things where the character has the can do anything power and the conceit is some com some established basis for why they can do anything, but it still doesn't stop them from doing anything. So it's like the molecule man controls molecules so he can do anything he wants, but it's because he can control molecules that has like, that has nothing to do with, you know, what you actually do in the story. It's like, now he can just do anything, but that, so that's like the only rule. And for magic users, by and large in superhero stories, they can do anything because magic is kind of the rule that goes by. I mean, I had a friend who asked me when Dr. Strange was about to appear in the first movie uh, from MCU, what are Dr. Strange's powers? And it's like, well, he can do magic. It's like, yeah, I get that. But what does are his powers? And the only answer I could give him is he can do anything as long as it rhymes. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, or a purpose, or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehunterspodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters because to live outside the law, you must be honest. That is kind of a conceit of magic in superhero stories. So, but I'm not going to say that that this, that um, invalidates your statement at all. Not at all, because it's kind of just weird for the particular characters to have such an open-ended thing without a through line. I mean, Doctor Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme. He studied. He's read lots of things. We know that that's how he can do anything. Uh, yeah. Why the Scarecrow could do anything, we really don't know, except for in magic. Now, I yeah. will also realize that I just thought in the last few minutes while looking at these pages. I just thought of the line, how about a little fire scarecrow? And all of a sudden, I know why he can summon rain. Because he needs to be able to summon rain. Well, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But so you know, we, we that, like that's to have, all I can say on that front. <laughs> but I, you know, and, and, and again, you know, this is the last thing I'll say on it because I know that, you know, Al doesn't want us to get into a whole like Soho forum debate on, you know, the nature of magic and superhero comics. Well, I would lose. So it's okay. <laughs> but no, I was just going to say the, 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 the idea I have here is even, even, you know, like you say, you know, there'll be the character with the do anything power, Mr. Mixie Plick. Um, 
Mixelpitalic, however you say it, I, um, or the Molecule Man or whoever. And, you know, what, but still, what the reader wants, like you said, they can do anything. So why didn't they? Why don't they? Now, every once in a while, you'll get a writer like Hick, like Jonathan Hickman with the balls to actually answer that question. It's like, well, no, actually, you're right. So here, he did the thing, you know, and then we'll get like eight issues of Secret Wars in 2015. But... <laughs> But, you know, like I, for one, you know, it's like there's a reason why, generally speaking, and again, not to poo-poo, I mean, we're here, we're talking about it, and it's great, and I, you know, all all love for it. But that said, there's a reason why Marvel 2-in-1 comics from the mid-1970s are generally more or less disposable, and something like, say, Lord of the Rings, where you have... Sauron, an all-powerful angel undone by his inability to conceive of someone not being corrupted by the power of the One Ring, right? Tolkien gave us uh, a reason why this supernatural character who can do anything didn't do the anything. My point is simply there's a reason that is an enduring story that lives with us in a variety of ways. And these comics, as much as we enjoy having this fun time talking about it, don't. That's all I'm mm-hmm. getting at. Sure, sure. No, I can see that. And just to say real quick on it, I you are right in that, like because they can't be freshmen, they just let them do whatever they want because they need to, and that's why they have that power. I wonder though if the Scarecrow could have been a bit of an exception to the rule if he had a chance to actually be in like consecutive issues or something, as opposed to wait, we look it up here real quick. Dead of Night number eleven, which was the last issue. And August of 75, and then Marvel Spot, an issue of Marvel Spotlight in February of 76, because he's not really the main character. He's almost like a side character. The main characters are really, you know, the three humans. Right, right. So mm-hmm. he's this, so like they could have done, they could have possibly got away with that for a while because he doesn't have captions. He doesn't have thought balloons. He doesn't have speaking voices really, except he, he, he. So he's, you know, they're, it's just what they can see him do and then figuring it out. Okay, so, so far we know he can do X, Y, and Z, but we don't know about the rest of the alphabet because we haven't, we might not have seen him do it. It's kind of like the people on the street of the Marvel Universe. Okay, like, okay, Spider-Man, well, what can Spider-Man do? Well, I thought he can draw walls. Yeah, does he have some kind of web thing? So does he make webs like out of his body? I don't know, Maybe. I saw him flying through the air. Can he fly? Well, I saw him fly, you know, when in fact he had just flung himself. Yeah, so it's Mm -hmm. it's getting that. So, I mean, they could have done a thing if they had consecutive issues where, like, we got his powers set. Where, like, we could see, like, here's his limits. This is what he can do. He can't do this. He can't do this. But unfortunately, of course, part of the – one of the problems of it is – we just get these kind of three one shots. So it does seem come across as just like he does this because he needs to. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of right, does come right. across like that. No, sure. And if, uh, you know, uh, it's a bit of a chicken in the egg thing because, you know, as you say, had we gotten more consecutive issues, would a lot of these questions would have been answered? You know, and my contention, of course, being that, well, they didn't get those consecutive issues because they didn't do a good job of initially setting up that these questions may kind of be answered or even what the questions were told you and, I had yeah. salt. I don't know. Yeah. I, I can, I can, I can kind of go both ways on that. Cause I'm a, I'm, way, I'm always very indecisive, <laughs> you know, but you know, there's other books that are like that, that have set that have, they've done the same sort of thing where the main characters, 
um, in the story, but like the headliner is the mystery character. It's like, who is this? What is his background? What is his, what is his part in this? And you don't really know. Um, I, I haven't really read many of them, but you know, like night force seems like one that is not too dissimilar in that, you know, Baron winters is the leader and assembles these people. But the whole thing, if that really kind of get into is that he doesn't go out on the missions cause he can't leave his house. And it's like, they don't know who he is. So the mystery of who this character is, is kind of part of what also keeps the glue that keeps things going together. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's just, I think it just suffers from bad timing. All, all the things about but this character and the stories that came along, just bad timing. I mean, they, they weren't confident enough in the character to give him a solo title just out of the gate. Right. Um, yeah. And, but most characters in Marvel did that this area, they, era they didn't do that anyway they would do a spotlight or a feature or whatever you know but they usually had a couple issues yeah they do anthologies to do it but just all bad timing that when they brought when they got around to bring the the scarecrow in it was like now this particular series we're going we're just going to cancel it anyway we're not making enough on this one they just didn't have a plan you know they didn't have a plan for actually right right doing something uh, cohesive with this character yeah but you know now i think that what really is interesting is that Nowadays, I would not blink an eye at the Scarecrow showing up in Strange Academy, you know, as a, a something. Somebody bringing oh, him back just they for should. like they that. totally should. You know? Yeah, and he could now, just pop up in something. But, that'd be cool. I, now, but the whole cast and the dynamic of them, I just don't, I, I know that there's not much hope of that coming back, which is a real yeah. shame because they're the fun parts. And that, dang it, I want to see Harmony in some rock and some you. pink pantsuits again. What the right. heck? I told you that that was like the best like 1970s mystery anthology series like never produced. I told you. Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tim, mm-hmm. I, I do kind of agree with you on the fact that I think it was mostly the timing and not no plan. But on the alternate side, to go for your example of Night Force. Yeah. And Night Force only lasted, what, a year and a half. So. Oh, yeah. But they still got. You know, but there's that, too. It's they, still you know, it's recognizable. People know what Night Force is. Oh, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, though, but maybe <laughs> that also was part of it. Was the whole like, you know, mm-hmm. okay, enough already. But then again, the X Men made up, made a, you know, made a whole you know line out of unanswered questions throughout like nine, you know, throughout the entire '90s. So you know, yeah, yep. mm-hmm. sometimes that can work. <laughs> What's going on here? No one knows. Will we tell you? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Does Cyclops back and Havoc have another brother? Maybe. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Marvel two and one number eighteen. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> so yeah, why are we, back why are we talking about that? Oh I, right, that's the issue. Okay. okay. Oh wait a minute. So um, back to the fight, we get a clobber in time. We, so yay. But honestly, like we get this whole fight between you know indigestion kid and um, the scarecrow, and I remember thinking to myself when I was reading this issue in preparation for this episode, I remember like we get to this like fight, and I'm like. Why is the thing here? Like, other than the fact that we're in an issue of Marvel two in one, like he's as much of like, honestly, he's as much of a spectator to all of this as we are. Yeah, no, he is. But it's because that's the only place they could, that that's probably mm-hmm. he want, someone wanted to use a scarecrow in here. I don't know who and it that, was. Was it the editor? Was it Mantlo? Was mm-hmm. it Scott Edelman asking them? God knows. It's kind of the question that um, that Siskoid has on his um FW team up show about the team ups there is like, is this issue, which character is this an issue for? And, you know, sometimes it can be really split down the middle, but sometimes it's very clearly one or the other. And it's like, and in team up issues like this, it's, it's going to be with only one character each. 
what with the two sides it's like it's gonna probably lean slant one or the other it's like yeah this is definitely a scarecrow issue oh yeah definitely which is, which is and that's fine hundred percent hundred percent so it's like but yeah that's the thing is that ben does often end up as a spectator in his own series when the story is very strongly slanted towards the other character it's not it's not even close to being one way or the other in this one yeah it, it's one thing where they're just doing team up issues like the project pegasus story where they're just bringing characters mm-hmm. in to be t- to be with him in this big story overall as opposed to this one of these where these issues where it's kind of like we're just wrapping up and tying up old series that you know we have nowhere else to do it so we're just gonna do it here Ben just the, his job is just to you know give them a chance to tell the story and end this character although he does the truth is, the thing does deliver the final shakum to Indigestion Kid. Yes. And so this is the part right here where he fights, where it seems like he killed the Scarecrow, right? Because that's why Ben punches him. Correct. Yeah. You crumb, you right. killed him. Mm-hmm. And shakum. And, you know, then we get uh, the, the poor schmuck with the righteous 70 sideburns back. All right, so according to the marvel.fandom.com, it says uh, the thing knocks the monster out, causing the change back to normal. Before doing so, however, he set the scarecrow's magical painting on fire with its demon flames, revealing the ca- image of Calamai Cal- underneath. Basically, the, scare- the uh, stru- scarecrow made him think he killed him, but kind of did this intentionally, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he could destroy the painting, and therefore Calamai would no longer be able to use it. Yeah, we definitely needed that explained to us. Yeah, it says the scarecrow yeah. then jumps into the painting, seemingly destroying it and closing the portal. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little it, it's it's a very it is a very 70s thing. I mean, a lot of these movies, you know, horror movies mm-hmm. in this time period, they're very vague of what happens. It's like, and something happened and now it's over. It's like, okay, I was awake. Yeah. I was watching. I'm still not sure what I saw. You know, I saw a lot of random images and screaming. And I guess it's over. Yeah. I think the thing that gets to me on this is that same variation on why didn't he do the thing because he can do anything is that if the scarecrow could have sealed the portal at any time in this fashion, why didn't he exactly and the only possible answer is because they weren't going to be using him anymore so you might as well, so this is a way to write him out yep oh yeah yeah, yeah. and we There's end with the slightly un- unsatisfying we- that's yes. all and we end with the undone cliffhanger of you know harmony saying justice brother dave is missing is is missing and we bump begun to s- suspect that he was the scarecrow if if the scarecrow is dead, then what about Dave? So spoiler, yeah, no clue yeah. ever again. Ever again, that's it. We just begun to suspect you had. Wait, what? 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 Huh? Wait, Dave are just you saying we're not going to have a big crossover event in 2023 called "What About Dave"? <laughs> oh well, now we are. Now we have to. <laughs> Come on. And now you have the secret history of the whole of what became the movie. What about Bob? <laughs> Originally based on a Marvel comic. <laughs> Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Bill Murray finally really, enters uh, the MCU. But yeah, I looked it up. Dave, Justin Harmony have three appearances, and that is it. 
That's it. This that's is the, the last one. Yeah, that's the last we yeah. see of them. Well, in fact, when means... Scarecrow does come back in the late '90s, Dave is never mentioned at all. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, as it well, says here for the issue on that Marvel fandom and continuity notes. Although some connection between Dave Duncan and the Scarecrow is implied in the story. This plot thread is dropped when the Scarecrow next appears in Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, number 31. Yeah. So we're so, talking right around the time of Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well, at, wow. this, at, at this point, at this point, I can but shake my head. I have I have vented my spleen all over Marvel 2 and 1 number 18 here. So I really <laughs> that's it. You got you got it all, guys. You got it all. All the salt is out. You've, you've yes, salted I feel, everything. I feel much better now. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a disappointing end for this because I did enjoy the first two, especially the me, first one. Me I had too. Hoped, but I, we knew it wasn't. We knew it only had short. It was only going to last the three issues anyway. It was. It was too good for this world. Yes. But <laughs> I do have a couple of notes to mention from the uh, Scott Edelman's website. So I did mention what what he had said about the Marvel two and one. Now. He talks real quick about Marvel Spotlight 26. Do we remember the part about them? We we meant we talk about how they're talking about Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he writes here. I remember the Scarecrow's second appearance more for the mention of Andy Kaufman. I squeezed into the script than for the story itself. I spent most of the summer of 1975 at the Improv Comedy Club in New York. Love Kaufman's act, Kaufman's act, and asked him in those pre-taxi days whether he minded if I mentioned him in print. And so I had the two, I had two of the characters enter a scene debating whether Kaufman, Kaufman was funny or a faker. Unfortunately, I never learned whether he liked it or not. Ah, that's wild. Know. Yeah, so because he was there, and I think we did speculate he, they probably had saw he probably had saw him since he was living in New York. So yeah, and it was pre-taxi, mm-hmm. so he wasn't like well known yet. On the information about Dead of Night Eleven. Here's an interesting little thing. So we know the cover was Gil Kane and inked by Bernie Wrightson. Yeah. And then Regal Rival did Mm. the interior. But as Scott says, but here's something you may not know. One artist who really wanted to draw the Scarecrow was John Byrne. Oh. The character had gone through many incarnations. Yeah. The character had gone through many incarnations before it started print. Incarnations which John had known about, and now as you'll see, even participated in. In May of 1975, I received a fan letter from him in which he wrote, Just got the first issue of Scarecrow, Dead of Night 11. Love it. Really tremendous. And I much prefer this version to my pumpkin rendition. Enclosed is a subtle hint. So I have a copy of that. So hold on. I'm going to show you. You two and everyone, I'll put this in the show notes. The picture that John Byrne included, if I could figure out how to do that on Skype. And if that little circle thing would stop circling. All right, sending it now to you guys. So this is the little image that John Byrne sent to Scott Edelman. Of oh, that's pretty Ooh. cool. That's very nicely done, as as expected from John Byrne. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it, it's a, now as Scott continues on, you might have thought as you read that note, what pumpkin version? It so happens that John did an earlier drawing before the Scarecrow ever saw, ever saw print. This one was published in the 1975 fundraising portfolio of ACBA, the Academy of Comic Book Arts. And let's put this one in. All right, sending the second one, which is a more pumpkin version of the Scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a, certainly a pumpkin version of something. It does. I, I cannot connect it to the Scarecrow in any way, shape, or form. 
Yeah. It reminds me a little of the pumpkin-headed character from Land of Oz. I'm just trying. I yeah, remember I his name. That. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but I always yeah. get I, all of my brain goes to his Merv Pumpkinhead from the Sandman. No, oh, see, yeah. I, nowadays, I like, yeah. No, definitely that is not a Merv Pumpkinhead. Like, no. The the hair, oh, no, the no. hat, no. No, no, it's not Merv. Merv. Never be I'm just dead. saying. That's the only name my brain goes to for the pumpkin character. No. I know there's one from okay, Oz, but I just yep. keep thinking my brain just goes to Merv. Yeah, absolutely. But because he's he's now his name is Pumpkinhead, so you can't help it. And he's, you know, much more well known from from anybody who's read Sandman to the present day because Sandman was just like, you know, have made him a much more known character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw that Land of Oz Treasury Edition back in the day when I was a kid, too. That's where I would have seen the um, the depiction of the of the pumpkin headed figure that i'm thinking of i just don't remember his name at all yeah um, and but it kind of reminded me of that like a cross between that because it looks like it's cross between that and you know scarecrow from oz as well you know that's what that particular one looked like that's actually pretty that's actually pretty good interesting design I'm, those are both of those are actually better and scarier than i expected from burn i'm not mm -hmm. used to him doing scary i'm yeah he will do emotional and, you know, superheroes and extreme, extreme. But uh, those were actually a bit. Uh, there's a there's a bit more horror element to them than I'm used to seeing from him. And that so that that those could have worked. Either those could have worked. That's pretty great. I probably scared Lance Hendrickson a lot. Mm. I, I guess <laughs> OK. But it's got right. Sadly, John never got the chance to tackle the scarecrow as the scarecrow himself didn't really have a chance. Uh, so Scott had begun writing the Scarecrow's third adventure, which has only a single page of art and script remain. And he has a photocopy of that. So I want to show you that one at least. So let me know if you got that. Yes, I did. It's yes. very interesting. It's very, uh, very Jim Steranko mm -hmm. almost with the, with the design. Yeah. Yeah. This is all that, that. remains yeah. of that next appear would have been his uh, third issue if he had gotten a third solo. The lettering above is supposed to have said... In the dead of the night, by the full of the moon, the evil that drives us will breathe its last breath. For the chase of the hell fiend is won by the swift. However you look at him, the scarecrow spells death. Oh, I like it. A, a little uh, poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pretty long episode, so let's get our feedback covered real quick. All right. And this time we are talking about feedback for two episodes. Episode 162, which was Wilderness Years Part 11 with Michael Bailey, where we talked about Avengers 259 to 261, and our Halloween mini-episode. And we're just going to mix all the responses into one. So on Facebook, the post about both those episodes was liked and shared by Noel Tate, Clinton Robinson, Magazines of Monsters, Mirko Mackey, Ka Ra Zen, Billy Dunleavy, Jesse Starcher, Gene Hendricks, A World on Fire, and All-Star Squadron Podcast, and... Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Viet Win, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Alan Sharp, Jason Snick Venable, Moon Cthulhu, Outcasters, Batman the Outsiders Podcast, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Chris Lydon, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Jeremy Daw, Trapped in a World, David Finn, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Ed Moore, Truth, Justice, and Hope, Coffee and Comics, Hashtag Source Material, Robson Maya, FBI Firestar, and Eric, son of Paul. 
We've also been getting likes and shares recently on our episode posts on Tumblr, so we're going to start sharing those now. So thank you to VC46 and CTKVI. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, link in the show notes. And on that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC comic sci-fi series Legion. That is the one with the acronym and Lobo in it, not Legion of Superheroes. All right, I need more responses from you people. I asked you a couple of times in the episode to send us an email about thoughts of yours. So send that email to resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. You can like and share our posts on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and we'll pop up. Go to the Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, or follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And finally, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear a promo from one of The Collective shows right now. From the time of his hatching, he was different. A potentially brilliant scholar who dreaded the structured environment of school. He educated himself in the streets, taking whatever work was available, formulating his philosophy of self from what he had learned of the world about him. And then the cosmic axis shifted, and that world changed. Suddenly, he was stranded in a universe he could not fathom. Without warning, he became a strange fowl in an even stranger land. Welcome to the one, and for some reason only, podcast about Marvel Comics' greatest talking duck, Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Hosted by myself, Noel, who's loved Howard since he was a kid. And me, Russell, who's not new to comics, but is new to Howard. We go through a couple issues from Howard's Marvel comic book history with some creator backgrounds, storied histories, and the weird world of 1970s comic books to today's. Get ducked up in a world he never made. Trapped in a world, the Howard the Duck podcast. Wow! Proud members of the collective. Nice. All right, so, but I, I think I have to go in a second, so why don't you guys start pimping stuff? Uh, well, since I introduced Brian first, why don't you go first, Tim? All right. So you can find me on WON, our podcast network. Um, with A.J. Wright doing our shows such as the Batgirl Cassandra Cain podcast, uh, where we cover the adventures of Cassandra Cain. Uh, we're currently covering the new series from D.C. called Batgirls, which features Cassandra and Stephanie and Barbara Gordon all as Batgirls, and it is fantastic. Uh, you can find that on our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, because it shares a feed with our Huntress podcast as well. And you can find my podcast on that site, called The Outcasters, which is a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. And you can find those places, various places on Twitter with like at Hunter's Podcast or at Right On Network. Um, and most importantly, you can find Outcasters at Bat Outcasters. And you can find me at Tim Price 17. Brian? Uh, weirdly, I got nothing at this time. So uh, just uh, if, you, if you want to uh, know... If I will, I will take the lazy way out and just say, follow me on Twitter at Kid Chiron, K-I-D-C-H-Y-R-O-N, for uh, observations on all matter of uh, pop culture and other niche interests that uh, may fill that hole in your heart. (laughs) So that's all I got. And if you want to hear more from Brian, just go, you know, just start re-listening to this podcast. You're going to hear a lot of him. Exactly. I'm all over this (laughs) dang thing.
And we'll be again again soon as we finish up what we're doing now and getting back to doing some more Starlin. Going to be getting back soon to some more Starlin Thanos graphic novels. Truth. Truth. All right, everybody. Well, I think I'm being told I have to go. Sammy, do you have any last words? Oh, sure. Now he's quiet. Yeah. Uh, I'll just, I'll just, (laughs) I'll wrap up just by saying this. These episodes were fun. Fun. And if we can find any, like, short properties to dive into like this again, I'm always up for it. I will I will agree with that that this was a this was a fun series to dive into. I had not heard of this character before and I thank you Al for introducing me to it and for bringing me on to talk with Brian because it's been a joy talking to the both of you about these issues as well. Even regardless of our level of enjoyment of the issues themselves, it's been a great time talking about them with you guys. So agreed. thank you for having me on agreed. the show for this. Thank you Tim and agreed uh, completely. Well, thank you both for doing this. This was fun. I, it, this came out of one of our like we said our little uh well, our digressions on one of the other issues that uh, the Thanos story that Scott Edelman wrote. <laughs> and Tangent. I'm glad I went with it. Nice. It is It is a feature of this podcast. Tangents have a way of getting really out of hand. Yeah, I'm sure another one will pop up at some point and we'll take that <laughs> to something else. But for now, everyone, right. thank you. Oh, sorry. So you can on. rename this, but I digress. <laughs> yes. And then Peter David sued me for copyright. Oh, <laughs> nah, that'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You'll be f- do it's, it. It's fine. It's not me being sued. Don't worry about it. Do yeah, exactly. It. Behave or I'll have Harmony kick your ass. Oh. oh. Now you bring out the big guns. <laughs> I mean, Dead of Night Harmony, not two in one Harmony. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Exactly. Oh. Hmm. I can think of worse things than being kicked by I, the ass by yeah, Harmony. I was, uh, I, I was expecting that. I was waiting I for that. I was waiting for I that. Know. But anyway, but yeah, no, hey, we'll, we'll find something else, I'm sure, like this. Maybe something else that can be Halloween-related to go after Halloween. Hey, anyone out there, do you have a character or a thing like this? You know it's like three, four issues, that short property that could be amusing. Let us know. Right in. All right. That's all for this time, everyone. Bye. Bye. I ain't going to buy out of you. <laughs> Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. While attempting an occult-themed art ex- while attempting an a- while attending an occult-themed art exhibition at Jet while attending an occult-themed art mm, huh. 
I'm really waiting for someone to write in saying, I look much, what about Bob? And there's no mention of Marvel in the credits whatsoever. I'm looking forward to that feedback episode, Al. <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> He's hilarious. 